Well, grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're so glad that you're here with us today, especially if you're a visitor. would encourage you to uh, stick around afterwards and let us get to know you a little bit and um, visit with you. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about learning to see from God's perspective. I don't know if you've ever considered this before, but uh, I, I believe this is a subject that should be on our radar. It's something that we should be concerned about. We should want to see as God sees. And this is a subject that is directly tied to this question. What is the goal of the Christian life? So you can think about that for just a minute. What is the goal of the Christian life? Because how we answer this question will determine what it is that we see and also how it is that we see. And Christians have answered this question differently over the years, so you won't always get the same answer. Some have suggested that the goal of the Christian life is to die and to go to heaven. Some see escaping this world for the next as the ultimate goal of Christianity. Now, if this is our view, we don't have to worry too much about seeing from God's perspective because all we're doing is waiting around to die. And some Christians have adopted this mindset. Now, now the problem with this view is that it does not fit well within the teachings of Jesus. Because Jesus is concerned about what we do here on earth. And Jesus wants us to love our neighbors and he wants us to care for the downtrodden. And according to Jesus in the Gospel of John, eternal life begins when we become a Christian, not when we die. We should be experiencing eternal life right here and right now. And so what is the goal of the Christian life? Well, I want to suggest that it is to be transformed into the image of Jesus. That we are sinful human beings. And what this means is that we have lost part of our humanity. That, that we don't even really know what it's like to be fully human. And the only way that, that we know what a fully human being is, is to look at Jesus. Because Jesus is the picture of true humanity. And he is who we are to be. And so we are to shed our sinful ways and become like him. And so the goal of the Christian life uh, for, for you and I is to be transformed into the image of Christ. There are lots of passages that describe this, but you probably already know if you spent long enough listening to me that this is one of my favorite verses that, that uh, touches on this. This is 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18, and we're going to spend some time here this morning. But it states, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. This is the image of Christ from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Lots to unpack here, but, but let's begin by acknowledging that, that this verse teaches that our transformation doesn't happen all at once. That becoming a Christian begins this journey where we set out to become like Jesus. And we're not doing this all on our own, according to this verse. The Holy Spirit 
is within us helping us to accomplish this goal. And this is a journey that takes a lifetime. And so we should be able to look back on our lives and identify change. We should be able to, to say, you know, I, I look more like Jesus now than I did 10 years ago. Because we're learning and we're growing and we're maturing. And as we are doing this, we're being transformed into his image. And so if the goal of the Christian life is to become like Jesus, then we need to learn to see from his perspective. Well, how do we do this? How do we learn to see from God's perspective? Well, I think we need to begin with a familiar passage that comes from the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, which states, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And this is an important passage because it tells us that we worship and we serve a transcendent God. And what I mean by that, and I know that's a big fancy word, transcendent, but it means that God is beyond us, that, that God is bigger than we are. If we think that we know everything about God, then we're not worshiping God. We're worshiping some idea that we have created in our own mind. We do not create God in our image. He creates us in his image. And it's important that we don't get that mixed up. So we're not God. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our, our ways. And this is essential for us learning to see from God's perspective because the first thing that we need to recognize is this. We do not see as God sees. And so we're going to have to learn to adjust our vision. We're going to need to recognize that our perspective is not always God's perspective. The way that I see the world and the way that I see other people is not always how God sees. And so going on this journey is going to sometimes create some friction in our lives. And it's up to us to align ourselves with God rather than pretend that God just thinks and sees just the way I do, which is a lie that we tell ourselves. And this is not always easy. But it's for our own benefit. So, so we're not only doing this because God wants us to, because we're commanded to, because you know, it's his will. We're doing it because it leads to us becoming who we are meant to be. And so as we learn to see as God sees, what's happening is we are becoming more fully human. We are being transformed into the image of Christ the only perfect human to ever walk this earth. And so once we recognize that, that we're not seeing clearly, that we have this problem with our vision, we can then begin the steps to correct our vision. So how does, how does a person correct their vision? Well, we need assistance. This is something that we cannot do our own. We can't just wake up one day and will our eyes to get better. You know, if we, if we have 
bad vision or if we have cataracts or something's wrong, we can't just say, I'm going to will my eyes to get better. We need help. We need surgery. We need lenses. So what kind of lenses are going to help us see from God's perspective? I would suggest it's the lens of Christ. And so who is Jesus? Well, to put it simply, if someone ever asks you this question, who is Jesus? You can say this, he is the full revelation of God. How do I know this? Well, it comes from Scripture, John 1, 14 and 18. And the Word, that is Christ, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Jesus is the correction that we need for our vision. And so we need to see the world through the lens of Jesus. We need to see our neighbors through the lens of Jesus. We need to see our enemies through the lens of Jesus. That's where that friction I was talking about comes along. We need to see our family situations, our work situations through the lens of Jesus and on and on and on. And so if Jesus is the correction, how do we get to the point where our eyes are continually seeing through the lens of Jesus. Well, let's go back to this verse, one of my favorite verses that we looked at earlier, 2 Corinthians 3.18, and think about it again. It says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And so how are we transformed into the image of Jesus? More specifically, how do we correct our vision so we see as Jesus sees? We do so, according to this verse, by beholding the glory of the Lord. And so as we are beholding the glory of the Lord, we are transformed. As we behold the glory of the Lord, we learn to see through the lens of of Christ. We begin to to look at everything differently because we're not looking at it our way. We're looking at it God's way. Now, you might want to know the answer to this question. You might be asking this. What does it look like to behold the glory of the Lord? What does this mean? What's Paul talking about here in 2 Corinthians 3.18? Well, let me suggest three ways that we're able to behold the glory of the Lord. I think the first is the most obvious, and that is that we go to Scripture. And so how do we know that Jesus is the full revelation of God? Well, because John tells us in the Gospel of John, that passage we just read. We have four Gospel accounts of the life of Jesus. We find Jesus in the Old Testament. We read about him in the New Testament letters. He is the central figure in the book of Revelation. And so we... Behold the glory of the Lord as we meditate upon the words of God that reveal Jesus to us. And this is what we need to do. We need to read God's word. We need to meditate upon God's word. We need to pray God's word. But that's not all. As we are reading, meditating, and praying, we need to make sure that we are seeing Jesus. And so... Our reading of Scripture should lead to an encounter 
with Christ. We should find Jesus when we open up the Word of God. The Bible is not an ordinary book. It's not like reading a history book or a psychology book or a work of fiction. Certainly there are historical facts in it, and there are moving stories in it. So so the Bible includes those aspects that we find in other books, but it's also much, much more than that. We learn about this in Hebrews 4.12, which says the Word of God, the Bible, Scripture, is what? It is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Bible is living and active. We can encounter Christ by meditating upon his word. We can behold the glory of the Lord by opening the pages of Scripture, and therefore we are transformed into the image of Jesus. Second, we go to the sacraments. And the word sacrament may not be a word that you're familiar with. Not everyone uses it, but it's a perfectly good word. Um, It comes from a Latin word, which means mystery. And it refers to certain Christian practices that are physical things that we do that also contain a spiritual element. For instance, let me give you some examples here so you understand what I'm talking about. Baptism. Baptism is a physical act. A person goes down into the water and is immersed. Now, if baptism is just a physical act, then it's not that unique. You know, you you can think of similar things that happen in a bathtub or a a swimming pool or a creek. However, baptism is also a spiritual act. And so in baptism, sins are forgiven. We receive the Holy Spirit. We are joined, we are connected with Jesus' death and his resurrection. And these are things that are happening in baptism. We cannot explain them scientifically, but they happen. And so for many years, Christians have referred to acts like baptism as a sacrament or a mystery. There's more to it than meets the eye. There are things happening in baptism that we cannot see. Another sacrament that is meaningful to us is the Lord's Supper. And so when we partake of this meal, just as we did a few moments ago, we are doing more than just eating a piece of bread and drinking some juice. We are communing with Christ. And we come to the table of the Lord, and we are in the presence of Jesus. And we dine with him at his table. And we need to make sure that we don't get into the habit of understanding this meal as just some mental exercise where all we do is remember what Jesus did for us. And the early leaders of the Restoration Movement cautioned us against this. And so uh, a few uh, of those early leaders writing in the 1800s said, for instance, uh, this is Robert Milligan from Scheme of Redemption. But to say that, uh, talking about the Lord's Supper here, but to say that it is merely commemorative 
is not enough. It is intended also to be the medium of furnishing and imparting nourishment to the hungry and thirsty soul. And then um, Robert Richardson in his communings in the sanctuary, also speaking of the Lord's Supper, says, It is here that Christ himself may commune with us and that our hearts may burn within us while we gain larger views of the mystery of redemption and comprehend what the prophets have spoken of the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. And it is here above all that the films of error may be taken from our eyes that we may recognize the spiritual presence of our Savior and that he may be made known to us in the breaking of the bread. And really, this Richardson quote, you know, since we're talking about seeing here, listen to, to what he describes uh, happening in the Lord's Supper. He says, the films of error, he's talking about seeing, may be taken from us so that we may recognize the spiritual presence of our Savior. What, what Milligan and Richardson are describing is transformation happening through partaking of the Lord's Supper. And so as we partake of the Lord's Supper, we can behold the glory of the Lord because we are in his presence and we are at his table and we can be transformed into his image. So thirdly, we go to beauty. And um, beauty is a word that's closely related to glory. And you'll recognize that glory was mentioned in 2 Corinthians 3.18. It's also mentioned in those John passages. We find beauty in Scripture. We find it in the sacraments and baptism, Lord's Supper. But we also find it in other places as well. Henry Nouwen, for instance, wrote an entire book that came from his meditations on this Rembrandt painting on the prodigal son. And so just by sitting and, and, and focusing on this painting, he was able to behold the glory of the Lord and he was able to understand God a little bit better and see things in Scripture that he had not seen before. And you may have had experiences like this. Maybe you read the Chronicles of Narnia and something in it caused you to reflect on Jesus and get to know him better. Or maybe you watched The Passion of the Christ and you know, something in that film you know, awakened you to, to Jesus and his teachings, or maybe it was Handel's Messiah, or maybe it was just going out into creation, a sunrise, a sunset, a mountain view. We, we need Christian artists. We need to pause and reflect on beauty, beauty that is all around us, whether it's in a painting or a film or a piece of music or creation, because these also can be holy moments where we behold the glory of the Lord. Before we move on, I want to give you one example of this. And, um, you know, a Christian artist that has meant a lot to me over the years has been a man named Michael, or Malcolm Geit. And uh, I, I've shared before some of his poems with you, but I want to share one this morning. Uh, this is Jesus Weeps. And so many of his poems are based off of um, passages from Scripture. And so this one's based off of a passage in Matthew 23 as well as Luke 19, where Jesus is weeping over Jerusalem. Um, but one of the reasons why I chose this one is because it has to do with seeing. And that's what we're talking about this morning. And so just, just meditate upon this for just a moment. 
Jesus comes near and he beholds the city and looks on us with tears in his eyes. And wells of mercy, streams of love and pity flow from the mountain whence all things arise. He loved us into life and longs to gather and meet with his beloved face to face. How often has he called a careful mother and wept for our refusals of his grace, wept for a world that, weary with its weeping, benumbed and stumbling, turns the other way. Fatigued compassion is already sleeping, whilst her worst nightmares stalk the light of day. But we might waken yet and face those fears if we could see ourselves through Jesus' tears. And so as we behold the glory of the Lord, whether it's through Scripture or whether it's through the, the Christian acts that we do here, the Lord's Supper, baptism, or whether it's through beauty, we begin to see as Jesus sees and we're transformed. So finally, as we wrap up this morning, what does it look like to see as Jesus sees. Well, I'll give you one passage and then we'll, we'll conclude here. And again, this is a passage that I'm sure most of you are familiar with, but it has to do with seeing. Matthew 25, 31 through 40. It states this. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne and before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates separates the sheep from the goats. And he'll place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And now he begins to describe as he sees things. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, now the righteous are describing how they see things, which is different from how Jesus sees. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And so, to see as Jesus sees is to see more than just a person in need. It is to see Christ in the people that we serve. And not just to see him, but to encounter him. And so we, we need to adopt a, a sacramental way of seeing. We do not live in a secular world where we never encounter God. We live in a transcendental world where encounters with God and Jesus are possible all the time if we are seeing properly. We will recognize that God is at work all around us if we're seeing as Jesus sees. And how we see is directly tied to ministry. 
It's tied to how we serve and how we interact with one another, whether it be people here in this congregation or whether it be people outside of this congregation, people that we encounter in the community. If we're seeing as Jesus sees, we can make a tremendous difference in the lives of others. We can be the people that God wants us to be. If we commit to seeing like Jesus sees, we will discover that there are opportunities everywhere. We just have to be willing to, to, to not only see like Jesus, but also to be his hands and his feet. And this is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to be the body of Christ. So may we leave here with renewed vision and commit to seeing this world, seeing the people around us, seeing the situations that we find ourselves in, just as Jesus sees them. Let's pray. God, we come before you this morning and we confess that we're not always the people that that we need to be, that we need to grow, we need to mature, we need to be transformed. And Father, I pray that you would correct our vision, that, that you would help us to see as you see, that we would learn to see from your perspective, and that we would learn to be the hands and feet of Jesus so that we can serve and help the people around us who are in need. Father, open our hearts so that they may be pricked and that we may be compassionate and merciful and gracious, just as Jesus was. We're so grateful that he was that way towards us and that he went to the cross for us and died there for our sins. So we pray this in his name. Amen.